0: Good morning, Highlight Church. How are you today? Woo! Come on, we can do better than that. You woke up. You got breath in your, in your body. Let's do better. Let's clap our hands. Let's celebrate. You're in church. You are doing okay? All right. Hey, we're in a series entitled Chosen. I don't have a lot of time, so I'm just going to jump right into it. Uh, repeat this after me. Ephesians 1, 4. We're studying through the book of Ephesians. Here we go. Repeat after me. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Let's do it again. Here we go. And then we're going to celebrate and we're going to celebrate for real. Here we go. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ. To be holy and without fault in his eyes. Let's celebrate. That's so good. <clears throat> awesome. Well, if you ever doubt it whether or not God loves you, or whether or not He has chosen you, got the, the proof here that uh, he, he does in fact love you and He has chosen you in Christ. And so we are studying through the book of Ephesians all the way through the summer. Uh, We're in chapter two. We're going to finish off chapter two this morning and we're going to enter chapter three next Sunday. Um, How many people enjoying this series? Are you being blessed? Are you being touched by it? That's good. That's good. Very good. Join me in uh, Ephesians chapter two. We're going to do verse 11 through 18. This is what we're going to cover today. I don't even know where Ephesians is in my Bible, and I'm the pastor. Show of hands. Do you know where Ephesians is? Show of hands. All right, well, I'm not the only one. Here we go. Verse 11. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be, used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens. What in the world? Are we in church? We're talking about circumcision this morning. Oh, my goodness. All right. Uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision. That's awesome. Even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts, in those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people in his own body. And on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles. By creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Here we go. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And it goes on to say here, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. The hostility between God's original chosen people, the Jews and the Gentiles. That being, if you're non-Jewish, all of us in here that are non-Jewish. And he goes on to say here, but he brought the good news of peace to the Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. We're going to dissect that. So if you're near, if, you know, they're near to God, but they didn't have peace with God. I wonder what that was all about. You're God's chosen people, but you didn't have peace. I wonder what that, that division was there. And so we're going to sit here and then we're going to say verse 18. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit, Because of what Christ has done for us. How many people understood anything I just read? That was a lot of a lot. We got circumcision. We have Gentiles. We have a wall of hostility and uh, all this stuff. Separation. But we're going to deal with it here over the course of the next, say, four or five hours if you have time. (laughs) Um, Forty minutes. Don't. Don't get a wad in your underwear. We're, we're a real church, so if I make an inappropriate joke, I love you, there's the exit, but I don't want you to leave anytime soon. So, um, you know, I have an all-access marriage. Um, whatever is hers, it's, it's also mine's. Whatever is mine's, it's hers. Um, someone said amen, amen. Amen. Um, and this, this really came into play uh, when she got a job as a nurse because I, I was a unit secretary um, in the hospital. And, you know, I had a little change in my pocket, but she, she made almost two or three times as much as I did. So um, whatever is hers becomes then mine. So how many know that two incomes is more than one income? And so um, then I, I had a car and she used to drive my car. Then she got a newer car, a better car, and a bigger car. And now the car I have is still in Florida with my dad, and we have her car. Um, I'm the one that brought all the debt into our marriage. She brought no debt. But whatever is mine's is hers. <laughs> so um, her debt is, my dad is her debt. Thank God two incomes are better than one. And so we can, we can try to tackle that debt together. You know, but... <clears throat> She didn't come into the relationship perfectly, nor did I. Uh, we all had our faults and our downfalls. But the thing that bonds us together so well in our marriage is love. And I think the same can be said with your relationship with God. You don't bring everything to the table perfectly, but God does. And I think the thing that gives us all access to everything that God has for our lives is his love for us. Uh, you don 't have to be perfect you don't you don 't have to have it all together before you can enter into a relationship with god you don't you don 't have to dress a certain way you don 't have to be raised in a certain denomination you don 't have to come into highlight Church with a collared shirt and a suit and a tie and, and and tucked in and all that. You can come in your basketball gear, but Jesus just simply loves you He simply loves you and he 's drawn near to you. And he's given you access to all of his promises in the scripture. There are over 7,000 promises uh, uh, made by God unto man that are found in the Bible. As far as I'm concerned, I want to know all of those promises. God has given us access to his goodness and his plans for our lives. He's given us all access. So I want to bring a message to you entitled Access Granted. Access Granted. And uh, we're going to get started. I I believe through the scripture we read, I want to pull out three truths this morning. Truth number one, or point number one is this. You are not an outsider. You're not an outsider. You're not an outsider. It says here in Ephesians 2.11, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision. Once again, that's awesome. Even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. Today, I want to I deal with this spirit of religion. I want to deal with the church folks and the unchurch folks. I want to deal with the seasoned church veterans and those that don't even want to know God and everyone in between. I want to deal with those that that have the list and they have the instructions and they know what to do when you come to church. They know what to say. They know the kind of mask to put on versus those that wouldn't get caught in a church dead. But for some reason, God has led you to this place this morning. I want to deal with those who never do anything sinful on a Friday and a Saturday night and those who have just came out of the bed of fornication. Yes, I just said that this is a church we don't we don't treat issues taboo around here. One of my favorite preachers said this. He said that we want two things the most, but we talk about the least in church. Sorry if you got kids. That's why we have HL kids, but I got to go here. We want more sex and more money, and the church is afraid to deal with it. So I do want to, I want to deal with the individual who, because they feel as though what they've done on Friday and Saturday, they wouldn't step foot in a church on Sunday But for some reason, God has brought you here this morning. And I thank God you're here. If you're not saved, if you don't believe in God, if you're if you're atheist or agnostic or Hindu or Muslim, whatever it is, your background is. I I got I believe I got some solutions for you here this morning. I think you're going to give your heart to Jesus when we're all done with you. Um, So it says this. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. Now, what is the book of Ephesians? What is it all about? So Paul is the author, and he was writing to the church in Ephesus, which is predominantly a Gentile church, non-Jewish church. And uh, at a certain point of their existence, they were uncircumcised heathens. The word heathen in the Greek means nation or subculture. And the only circumcised group at a certain point in the history of humanity was the Jewish people. Now, Abraham, who was the patriarch of the Jewish nation, circumcised himself at the age of 99. God had called Abraham to leave his people, to leave his family, his native country. And he said, I'm going to bless you. So God established what's called a covenant. The word covenant is barit in the Hebrew. It means promise. This was an unconditional promise that God made to Abraham that despite whatever Abraham did, God was going to fulfill this promise. Why Abraham? Because God planned to bring the children of Israel from Abraham's loins, And from Israel was going to come Jesus, who was going to be the savior of the world. So God made Abraham a promise. And this is the promise in Genesis 12, uh, verses 1 through 4. It says this, the Lord had said to Abram, this is funny, because the name Abram, God changes his name to Abraham later. The name Abram means father figure. He changes his name to Abraham, which means father of many nations. So God can change your name. You can go from a figment. You can go go from from an imaginative. you, You can go from something that you're just conjuring up, something that you're dreaming about, to actually if you follow Jesus, if you give your heart to the Lord, he can take you from what you're dreaming about, and he can cause that to be a reality in your life one day. All it takes is following him and trusting him. And so he takes them from Abram, and I think around chapter 18 or something, he changes it to Abraham. He tells him this when he first calls him. He says, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. God wants to make you into a great nation. God wants to produce greatness through you. God is not finished with you. If you woke up this morning, God is just getting started with you. He wants to bring great things through you. And he says this, I want to bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. Now he circumcised himself at 99 years old. And then God tells him in Genesis 15, we're not going to cover that today. We're not going to read it. We don't have enough time. He tells him that you and every male descendant in your household shall be circumcised because I'm establishing my promise with your people. But did you just see what God just said in Genesis 12? Circumcision was never anything to keep anyone outside. So Paul is addressing the Gentile church. Watch the original promise that God makes to Abraham. We're going to go back in. He says this, I will make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. When did the church ever start to become fruit inspectors to the point where what we see on the outside of people, we judge them so harshly that they don't even feel as though they can come inside of the church because they don't have the church lingo, because they curse, because they smell like smoke and they smell like alcohol and because they got a divorce or because they lost a child or because they did this. When did we ever become the standard? When did we ever become the judge? So the original promise actually predates the law of the circumcision. Did God say in Genesis 12, Abraham, I need you to be circumcised, then follow me. He says, no, follow me. Abraham at this point, when he begins to follow God, he is an unbeliever. So God doesn't say change everything about your life and then follow me. He says, come as you are and I'll change everything about you for the better. I'll change everything about you for the better. And so he goes on to say this. He says, uh, I will bless those that bless you and curse those that treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So this also lets me know that this promise is, is for a certain time span for a certain people. What happened in Jesus's day, what happened in Paul's day, is that this spirit of religion had carried itself for almost 4,000 years. From Abram to Jesus, Jesus had to deal with religion with the Pharisees. This is why a prostitute couldn't step close to Jesus. This is why a tax collector couldn't come close to Jesus. This is why someone who was strung out with alcohol and drugs couldn't come close to Jesus. This is why someone who had an abortion couldn't come close to Jesus because of the spirit of religion. Religion and relationship are two different things, and we're going to deal with that this morning here. And all families will be blessed through you. So the circumcision was meant to point Abram to be a blessing. So Abram departed. I love this part. I think this is my favorite part of this verse. I'm preaching this just one verse for too long. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. It lets me know that you're never too old to say yes to God. You're never too old. And so, but at a certain point in history, as we can see, this promise wasn't made available to us Gentiles. Have you ever felt like you were outside of God's goodness? Like outside, like God, God had like, it was this area, this section right here had all of God's blessing, all of God's favor. This section right here had all of God's blessing, all of his favor. And in and this group, you know, you ever felt as though God had forgotten about you? He didn't, he didn't count you in, he didn't, he didn't qualify you. He he wasn't thinking thinking about you. He wasn't speaking to you the way he was speaking to other people. And and Paul is saying you were once outsiders without hope. There was a time in your life when you you questioned, and some of you questioned this morning, what is my purpose? What, what is the reason I'm here? I'll tell you what, it's not for an eight to five. It's, it's your occupation. It's you can find purpose in it, but it's not your eternal design. It's, it's not, it's not the, the, the plan. You can retire, you can have a great 401k, you can have all the assets in the world and, and sit back, but that's not your purpose. You can have the vehicles, you can have the homes. That's not your purpose. If you're not using your home to bring others into it, to bless others. The reason you have the home is null and void in the eyes of God. God wants to speak with you. He wants to give you purpose. But sometimes we can feel as though he isn't. And so Paul, the author of the the letter to the Ephesian church, he wrote from from prison he, oftentimes, he had to minister because he went to three different continents to minister to Gentiles. Jesus called him to share the good news to the Gentile nation, not the Jewish people. And he often had to deal with this notion that, hey, Paul, um, are you sure that salvation is only faith in Jesus? Are you sure? And Paul would say, yes. 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 It's not the way you dress. It's not your haircut. It's not the color of your hair. It's not what you were doing last night. The first step is faith in Christ. Well, you know, I I remember uh, I was raised in the Baptist church, and, um, man, every 7 a.m. service, Jesus Christ. Y'all think 10 a.m. is hard. Grandma. And mom, 5.30, every Sunday, wake up, time to go to church. And uh, my parents would have, my, my mom and grandma, they would have my, my clothes laid out. And it was usually button-up shirt, vest, fake tie, you know, the clip tie, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, slacks and nice shiny shoes. And we would do this just about every Sunday as I was growing up. I got to college, and I truly gave my life to Jesus at 19. So, One of the first Sundays I came back to church uh, in 2006, I stepped in there with jeans, a blazer, and like a T-shirt. And I stepped into church, man, and everyone's head just turned like, hmm. you know, and I felt out of place. I felt like I wasn't welcomed. I felt like um, my relationship with Jesus wasn't authentic. It's as if I went to Tallahassee. I really met Christ. I didn't meet church. I didn't meet religion. I really met Christ. And I was really reading my Bible because for the first 18 years of my life, I didn't care about the Bible. Then I saw someone that dressed like me. They talk like me. They thought like me. They were relevant and they loved God and they loved scripture and they taught me the Bible. And I said, yes, I love Jesus too because you look like me and I can relate. And you go through the same things I go through. You're not out of touch. And I want to know Jesus just like you want to know Jesus. Then I step back and I go home and it's like, keep an eye on him. He's, he's not supposed to be here. And and, and religion can have the tendency to do that, so Paul had to address the discouragement that Gentile believers experience when they would ask him, Paul, we know that the Jewish believers of Jesus say that we should be circumcised, but Paul, man, I don't want that razor. I don't, I want to follow Christ. And so he dealt with this, and we see this on his first missionary journey. This is powerful. Watch this Acts 15 4 through 11. It says this, when Paul was going around and he had an issue in Syria, he had to go back to Jerusalem to talk to the original apostles that Jesus left the ministry of the gospel to. So if you're going to go to anyone, go to the source. Go to Peter, James, John. Go to Matthew, your four four gospels. He goes back and it reads here, when they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and the elders. They reported everything God had done through them. Man, people are getting saved. Gentiles, Ephesus, Corinth, everyone. Man, people that aren't even Jewish, they're getting set free. They're getting transformed. Marriages are changing. Finances are changing. People are being healed of diseases. Man, it's crazy. God's moving through us. Watch this. Watch religion. Here we go. Five. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees, the same jokers that Jesus had to deal with, stood up and insisted the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. Now, the Pharisees, they now believe in Christ, but they used to be the ones that questioned Christ. A Pharisee knew the Bible so well that you could drop a pen in the middle of the Bible, cut a hole in the entire Bible, pull out all of those pages, and each page, they would be able to tell you the exact words and phrases and sentences that were being missed in the Bible. They knew the letter so well, but Paul says in the book of Corinthians, they missed the heart and the spirit of the letter. They missed the motive. They missed the love. They missed the grace behind what Jesus stood for. And so he goes on to say this. So the council the meets, verse 7, at the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Peter was Jesus' top dog. He was his number one. So if you want to hear from anyone, hear from Peter. Here we go. He says this, brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. Verse 8, God knows people's hearts. And he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit. You can come to church any kind of way you want, but as soon as you place faith in Jesus, you receive all of God in your heart. In your heart. Now, let me give you something for those of you that, man, that's encouraging, that's inspiring. You want to accept Christ and then you want to go back to your old life. Let me help you out. When the Holy Spirit comes into your heart, don't be surprised. If you start to feel funny about the things you used to do, that is a sure sign that God is working. That's a sure sign. That's a good thing. That's a sure sign that when you gave your heart to Jesus, God gave you the gift of his spirit. So you don't have to come changed. But when you come, he begins to change. He begins to change you. From the inside out. And I love that. So Peter says that just as he did to us. This is my favorite part. Here we go. Verse 9. He made no distinction between us Jews and them. For he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you challenging God? By burdening the Gentile believers. I love this. Watch this. With a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear. He's like, we're tying, we're, as the church, we can tend to tie a yoke around people's neck that we can't even bear. What is he saying? He says that as Jewish people, we have over 612 laws for over the course of the past two to 3,000 years since Moses. And we have not ever been able to follow every law. So why put this on people that haven't even stepped foot into the church yet? In essence, we're locking the door for them to truly find grace and transformation in their lives. And so he goes on to say here, verse 11, we believe that we are all saved the same way. Watch this, by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Jesus shed his blood on the cross. There's no work. That has to be done to receive salvation. And then I love it because you don't have to force yourself to be perfect after you receive Jesus. Grace is unmerited favor. And so he goes on to say here, the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. I want to mention this. I believe religious people, religion, the word means routine, ritualistic, can be more of a hindrance to our faith walk with Jesus than the devil. Than the devil. The devil only appeared about a handful of times during Jesus' ministry. He was possessing people and all that stuff. But Jesus received the most, and if you read the book of Acts, Paul received the most tension and pushback, not from Satan, but from the religious organization because they wanted to bind the people with rules that they could not follow. There was a spirit of legalism. Legalism, I'm teaching today. This, we're going verse by verse through Ephesians. Is this okay? Are we good out here? Legalism is a strict following of moral law. In essence, legalism is good works leads to salvation. Legalism is this. If anyone ever tells you it's Jesus and baptism, It's Jesus and blah, blah, blah. It's Jesus and whatever. That is legalism and that is heresy. Heresy means that that is false teaching. That's false doctrine. Salvation is Jesus and only Jesus. And what he's done for you. Salvation is the love of God through Jesus. And all it requires is faith. It's all it requires. And I don't want to be the church that heaven looks down on and people are trying to come through the door, get in the door, get, get saved and be transformed and be changed and be fulfilled. I don't want us to be the church that closes the door on people because we say, hey, salvation is Jesus plus you need to get your marriage right. It's Jesus plus you need to get off drugs. It's Jesus plus you need to get out of the bed. I just want to tell you that it's Jesus and from there, come on! I'm I'm trying to get somewhere this morning. But now you have been Ephesians two thirteen. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have brought you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Jesus. You're not an outsider. Number two, you are not inferior. You are not inferior. For Christ himself has brought peace to us, 14 through 16. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when his own body was on the cross. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and regulations. I just told you they had the law, over 612 laws here. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles. Uh, and to one new people. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Now, Jews possessed the law. As you can see, Abram was called, and they prided themselves on knowing God. So they were very proud of, of their faith and their relationship with God. May we not be known as the church that considers ourselves superior to anyone outside of the church. May we not forget the grace that God has showed us when we were in our most desperate need. When, when we were strung out, when we were down and out, may we not forget, may we not close the door. I remember a uh, second grade stick with me. We're almost done here. I got about 14 minutes. Uh, had a classmate. His name was Desmond Williams. This joker was bad, man. He didn't listen to anybody, man. Um, Desmond Williams, bro, jumping all over the desk. Desmond, sit down. He just would not listen. And we were in Ms. Mrs. Lilly's class. And would you know, like, I was a pretty good kid in, in, in second grade. But would you know that one day I was talking. Miss Lilly said no talking. One day I was talking. And she said, Redding, be quiet. And I said, Miss Laley, but I wasn't talking. And she said, Redding, you're so full of it. I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm eight years old. What does that even mean? I've heard it on TV. She said, go outside now. And I'm like, all right. So I went outside and we, we were in portables. And so, and, and you know, portables are outside, and you know, a stranger could be walking the, the school grounds. I could have gotten kidnapped. You know what I did? I took my little butt to the principal's office. And so I walked down, I got Principal Massey. Mr. Massey was the best, man. And you don't mess with me, I was one of his favorite. So I said, <laughs> I said, Miss Lily, uh, Lily kicked me out, she made me stand outside. He was like, What? All right, let's go. Let's go. All back to <laughs> came in and he, he pulled her out of class for a few minutes. And and I sat back at my desk and they talked outside. They had a few choice words and uh, she was okay. But Desmond, that was just my one thing. Desmond, man, Desmond, you know, they got the list in in schools. Don't talk, uh, you know, get quiet, all that stuff. And then Desmond had his own other list. These were the Desmond rules. Not only that, Desmond had his desk right next to Mrs. Lily. And so whatever he did, whenever he did it, she always stuck him. She always stuck him. And she, she talked bad about him. She talked about him behind his back. And kids, don't ever be like Desmond. He's a bad example. I mean, Miss, Miss, now looking back, Mrs. Lily was very oppressed. She was very, there was something wrong with Mrs. Lily. But I pray for her. Hope she made it. I'll see her in heaven. Um, so by the grace of God, Desmond makes it into the third grade. And we, we both we both end up in the same class. Uh, Mrs. Bland. Miss Bland is still hands down my top three Um. um Teachers, and it's amazing how you grow up, and she's on Facebook, and I'm like, I'm a grown man now, but anyway, so she's still top three teacher, and, and I remember I came in first day of school, third grade, I had Desmond in my class, I, I had arrived, I was unpacking my bag, I was at my table, and Desmond comes in, Desmond was being raised by his auntie, so we don't always know people's backgrounds, Desmond had lost his mother and his father, and he was being raised in a dysfunctional family by his auntie, and uh, she was all, she had two or three jobs to support him and his, his other siblings. So we don't always know people's backgrounds, church. And so uh, Desmond comes in with the auntie, Mrs. Bland, greets her. Hey, how are you doing? And Desmond comes in, and Mrs. Bland, she gets on her knees. And she says, Desmond, I know you. I've heard about you. I know your ways. I know how you behave. But I want to tell you one thing. I love you. I believe in you, I support you, I give my life for you, and the only thing I need you to do, Desmond, is trust me. There are no Desmond rules in this classroom. There are no, I love you and I just need you to trust me. And we saw Desmond the first month. Desmond was Desmond. (laughs) He would jump around. He would talk a lot. He would disrupt. But Ms. Bland never kicked him out. She never took him to to, to the principal's office. She never put up the Desmond rules or the normal rules, for that matter. Every time Desmond got out of place, she said, Desmond, I need you to trust me. I know how this feels because I have an eight-year-old at home right now. And the number one thing I'm dealing with him with is trust. Because trusting God is all about the reward of God. It's not about the consequence. It's about the better that God is attempting to bring into your life. Trust me in your singleness. Trust me with your finances. Trust me. Give me the bottle. Trust me. Trust me in your marriage. Water your own garden. Trust me at 2 a.m. Stay off of that computer. Trust me. Trust me. Just trust me. And so we see Desmond change month two, month three. We get through spring break. And at at, at my elementary, we had... um, Student of the year for every grade. And uh, had we had a worst category, Desmond would have won that for second grade. Man, you see throughout the year Desmond now passing out papers, handing out crayons, leading the lunch line to, to the cafeteria, leading us to recess. You see Desmond organizing us. You, you see now Desmond has a, a yellow a yellow. Thing. We used to have hallway monitors don't run. you see Desmond Desmond first one turning in his paperwork, coloring inside the lines. Desmond's no longer putting crosses upside down and and <laughs> decapitated heads of <laughs> Desmond Desmond, and uh, we get to the end of the year it's It's May because we finish school in Florida in May, and Desmond becomes the student of the year in third grade. Who's superior now? And, and I feel as though God brought me back to that story because the Jews prided themselves on knowing the scripture. They, they, they had the doctorates of ministry. They had the masters of divinity. They, they knew it back and forth like the back of their hands. We knew the rules. But the thing about the rest of us in third grade is we only got rewarded for the rules we follow. Desmond, as he trusted Mrs. Bland, he took it further than us because we just wanted to follow the book. Following the book is all about ethics. But what if we followed? What if we related to? What if we gave our hearts? What if we gave our lives? To the writer, to the author of the book. Then and only then will we see the miracles. Then and only then will we see the growth. When we relate to the author, we come to find out that we are not inferior to any churchgoer, we're not inferior to anyone, and God wants to bless us, He wants to use us. You have a great calling on your life. He has everything you need when you relate to the author of the book. Desmond was not inferior to anyone. And I want to encourage you that you're not inferior because of your past, because of your, your ignorance. You, you, don't, you don't know what's in this book. It's okay but because of what you lack. I'm not talking to seasoned Christians right now. I wish I, wish I had just five or four unbelievers in here. That I can minister to. I didn't start this church to accommodate Christians. I started this church to accommodate and to reach people that don't know Jesus. And what we need to do, growing Christians, is we have to stay We got to bob and weave with the spirit of God. Don't get stuck in your ways. Don't be a spiritual Pharisee. You have to bob and you got to weave. You got to love people. You got to invite them in. You got to pray for them. You have to stop worrying about whether or not your agenda or your ideas are going to get promoted in God's church and start focusing on the people that he's called you to reach. That's how you grow because people are dying out there every day spiritually. And they need the church to stop being professional Christians and start being professional lovers of people. That's what we need in this world. You're not inferior. I've been to church in four years. You're not inferior. I've been to church in 10 years. You're not in, I've never been to church. It's okay. God is mad with me. No, he's not. He's madly in love with you. Right. Point number three, you have been given all access. <sighs> Verse 17, he brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. The good news, the gospel, the good news is simply this. The bad news is we're sinners, and Kyra covered last week how we were candidates of God's wrath outside of Christ. The Bible says that it is appointed for all men to die and meet their maker. And I, I, don't, I, don't, I, just, I don't know how it would make sense for you to die with a bill of sin that you can't cover. Jesus has paid the bill. It is appointed. I I don't know anyone who has in the past 500 to 1,000 years has lived past, unless it's in the Guinea's World Book of Records, who has lived past 140, 50 years. You will pass. I will pass. And I love it because the good news is this, is that Jesus came born of a virgin. He lived a perfect, sinless life. The reason he broke down the wall of hostility between us and God and between us and the Jews is because he fulfilled the law. For 33 years, three, three, two numbers of perfection, two numbers of completion. He died on the cross. He shed his blood because the Bible says that um, in order for there to be a remission or repayment of sin, blood has to be shed. So he was God's perfect sacrifice for you and I. He died stayed in the grave for three days because he was in hell, taking the keys away from Satan. The Bible says that the power of Satan is sin and death. He took those keys away. The word death means separation. Satan knew what he was doing in the garden. He knew he was separating mankind from God's best plan. So Jesus dies. He goes to hell for three days. He takes the keys of authority and he comes and he says, here you go, Peter. Preach the gospel unto the Gentiles. Let the entire world know that I've given you the keys of authority. Now you have everything that God has access to. He dies, he sheds his blood, and now you can show up before your maker with your bill, paid in full, because of what Jesus has done for you. And he's given you all access. And it says here in verse 18, now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit, because of what Christ has done for us. You know, I, um, I love this thing. This thing was, I'm closing us out here in two minutes. This thing right here was given to me for as a gift. I used to see it around uh, other people's uh, chests. What is this? This is a, a giving, giving key. I think that's what we call it. And uh, Becca, she's not in here this morning. She's in our kids' ministry. She bought me this key, and it says Highlight Church on it. And uh, I always wanted it, but she uh, spent her heart, earned money on this key. And uh, to me, this key is not just a key. It's not just a piece of jewelry, but it reminds me of how keys give us access through locked doors. And uh, at one point in my life, I didn't have access to everything that God had for me. And, uh, I said I gave my heart to Jesus at the age of 19 and you have to understand one thing about Jesus is that if there are any locked doors that God intends for you to unlock the key the key is faith in Christ in every area of your life key the key all access the key to that vision that you want to give birth to, the freedom that you're looking for, the peace that you're looking for, the key is Jesus, all access. The purpose is found in Jesus, all access. If you want your kids to be blessed, if you want them to be raised well, if you want to give them a greater inheritance than than a financial inheritance, give them a, a spiritual inheritance, raise them up in a home, where the key is given to them so that they can have all access to everything that Jesus has for their lives. Jesus is the key. And we have peace with God and we have full access to God for all things. I want to pray and then we're going to do an altar call. You're not going to come to the front. I'm going to give you a chance to give your heart to Jesus this morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us access. We thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to follow a set of rules. We thank you, Lord, that you've made it so easy to trust you and to follow you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for being in this church this morning. Jesus, we give you praise. Amen. Hey, let's bow our heads. Um, I'm going to do this on the count of three. Maybe you don't know Christ, but this morning is your morning. You can be transformed, can be made into a new creation. God wants to do a new thing in your life. And on the count of three, if you would just raise that hand we're going to pray with you as a church, and you're going to leave here differently for the better. Let's do it. One, two, don't let the devil or religion talk you out of this. Three, raise, that, raise those hands high. Praise God. Let's put those hands down. Come on, church. Let's celebrate. Praise God. I want to say something. I don't mind us holding you a little longer today. I know this wasn't your, how do I get through the week message? It doesn't need to be. But it can. Jesus is the key. (laughs) There's your application. Today was all about the person that doesn't know Christ. Thank God, we were able to see salvation reign in this in this church this morning. Yeah, a life is eternally changed. Church, pray with me. Let's pray with these individuals. Father, we love you. We honor you. Forgive us for our sins. Fill our hearts. Give us a future. Give us a hope. Give us a purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.